Welcome. I'm Peter Dow. This is Direct Left on Call-In. If you haven't yet, uh, please sign up for the newsletter at directleft.com. Today we're talking about the calamity of gun violence in America. The idea that children, babies, can be slaughtered in their classrooms is beyond horrific. There, there are truly no words to describe the horror, the tragedy of it. And why does this keep happening in America? I want to start by asking my friend and colleague, Jason Cole, uh, who was a public school teacher for many, many years, to share his thoughts. Jason, I know this is uh, very emotional for you, as it is for all of us, you know, as a former teacher. I'm really uh, interested in your perspective, and hopefully we'll all have a a serious and probing conversation about this issue and lay blame where it belongs. So, Jason, um, as I say, I know this is emotional for you, so please go ahead and, and, and just share your views on this. Thanks, Peter. Uh, yeah, um, again, a, um, a really tough day in America that uh, leaves us wondering what is different about this country um, that, that this kind of horrific event uh, happens here uh, and doesn't seem to happen anywhere else. I think um, the statistic now for 2022 is that we've had 30, uh, 30 school shootings in 2022. Um, we're, you know, not even halfway through the year. And um, I, I, I have some thoughts on what the answer is. I mean, I, I, I think the, the answer uh, for me is, is rooted in the fact that we um, just sort of systemically don't take care of each other uh, as a society. I, do, I, th- I think the gun violence epidemic is, is not just rooted in gun culture. Um, it is rooted in the fact that uh, we, we don't have um, health care or housing that are guaranteed, um, that we don't have uh, education that is guaranteed that that in the richest nation on earth we have such vast wealth inequality and so many people um, are struggling uh, that we have such an over militarized uh, police force um, that we are in essence the world's police force with our own military and I think all of these all of these combine. Um, in such a toxic stew of a country that, that the only people that I see uh, really truly fighting back about this is the left. Um, uh, and, and it's a thing that needs to be solved um, on all fronts, systemically on all fronts. Um, so that, that's sort of my big picture take on it, that it's, you know, yes, it's guns. I mean, uh, we have to do something about gun laws, but it really goes uh, it goes beyond gun laws into into how uh, how we operate as a society at, at, at large. I mean, um, Canada has lots of guns. Canada has a gun culture. Um, there are countries in Europe that have a gun culture. Switzerland uh, has a gun culture. You know, historically, uh, but you don't see this kind of you don't see this kind of um, uh, hor- horrific act. And so we have to go beyond um, just the guns. And when I say that. I'm not dismissing the guns. We have to take care um, 
of reasonable gun control in this country. We have to do it. Um, but we have to go, we have to go beyond the guns just make the sickness in our country, uh, that much more explosive. And I, you know, I did my, I did my student teaching the year Columbine happened. That was, um, and I taught, I taught middle school and, uh, it was, um, you know, I remember the emo- the emotions that happened and the middle school kids talking about uh, Columbine and the this, this staff, me as a, as a young, uh, not yet licensed teacher. Um, and I and I felt like, you know, I felt like something changed then. That was that was really the first time that we ever saw um, something on a scale uh, of, of, of what happens you know, almost routinely now with, with school shootings. Um, and so I, I can, I, I really feel like I can put my finger on that incident at Columbine. Um, and the fact that we never, we never examined closely, um, you know, how, how disaffected our, our society has become. So th- those are my initial thoughts on this. Yeah, Jason, it's 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 helpful to look at the big picture. You're absolutely right. It's not just guns, um, but it's an entire culture. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on this, having grown up myself as a hunter, a sharpshooter, surrounded by guns. I own several guns. I grew up in Beirut, as as many of you know. So, um, but I but I wanted to uh, turn to Stephanie. Stephanie, what are you? What are your just general thoughts first, and we'll dive into the details. Thanks, Peter. Um, so I, like you, I grew up around guns. As a child, my, my father had a lot of guns. We were taught how to take it apart, how to clean it, how to shoot it. We were taught gun safety. My father slept with a gun next to his bed, unloaded. There were guns in the closet. There were guns in my closet. My brothers had guns on racks over their beds as children. Um, and then I, I was about 11 the first time I saw a gun used to kill someone or it was a cow, um, and then a deer. And I began at a very young age to realize that, that guns were meant for destruction. And so I, I completely moved away from my family and I, I can't even, I can't be around them. I, 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 my husband and I were walking down the hunting aisle at Walmart right around when the pandemic started. And he said, should we get a gun? And I said, I can't, I can't. Because the the studies I've done, I've you know I, I always look at the, the the science. The science says you are more likely in the United States to be shot with your own gun than you are to defend yourself with it, and that that breaks down into if you live in a house where there's a gun, you are more likely for your spouse to shoot you or your child to shoot you, or if someone breaks in for them to take the gun away from you and shoot you. A lot of people commit suicide who have guns in their homes, and the science just shows fewer guns means, or less guns means fewer, fewer, fewer people are getting shot. And so we don't have to be in this black and white between everybody have an AK-47 on, on one side and nobody has a gun on the other. I mean, we do have a very clear Second Amendment that says gun ownership is a right. Now, granted, in 1776, everybody had muskets, 
And no matter how many guns you have now, the gov- the government has drones, unmanned drones. I mean, so guns are no longer about defending ourselves against the government. These are yeah, these are excellent points. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. I'm sorry. Go so, ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I just think we've just gotten to where we're just so. And Derek and I agree with everything Jason said. I was actually briefly a high school teacher, and we used to have to do drills constantly, active shooter drills. And the thing that that puts children through in this country is just. It's just to me, it's just it's abusive. And that's that's my those are my main first thoughts. Yeah, and that that's. All very valid points, and I'm glad you brought up the issue of suicide as well, because that's another huge part of the um, of the statistics of, of deaths um, by guns, and that's often not mentioned, and it's a very crucial part. Look, I mean, I have such a complicated relationship with guns myself, having grown up in a war my entire youth, and having been a hunter. Um, but a gun gives you a sense of power and omnipotence. You can take a life with it. You have, by the click of your finger, you can end a life. And that gives a tremendous amount of power. And it's, it's the psychology of the obsession with guns in this country. You know, people walking around with, with AR-15s and open carry and the feeling that it makes you stronger than you actually are is a very... Um, addictive feeling, and I use you know addictive in just very broad sense of the term. Something that really makes you want to, you know, makes you feel good about yourself, makes you want to do more of it, and it's a very dangerous thing. Watching, as you said, Stephanie, guns kill animals and then kill people. As you get older and realize the power of these weapons, you begin to be more hopefully more cognizant of, of of what they can do and what they can be used for. So I can understand on the one hand the feeling of what a gun does for you, but on the other hand, it's, it's crucially important also uh, to understand that as w- when you're younger, and this is a lot of reasons, I was actually conscripted at 15 years old into the military. The reason that uh, many cultures will, will will take and train child soldiers is because the understanding appreciation for life at that age is probably, um, and I'm not speaking from any statistics that I know of, but just anecdotally and just through my research and studying and understanding, there's a, a less respect for life at, at that point or less understanding for what it means to take a life when you're 16 and 17 and 18 and there's a, there's a weapon in your hand. Um, so that's another huge factor as well. Um, I want to talk about, and Jason, I'd love you to weigh in on this as well, and and, uh, and I'll, we'll take some calls as well. I, I see a couple of friends also waiting to speak, and we'll get everybody in. I want to talk about responsibility and culpability, because I think this is a key point. It does not happen this way in other countries. That's absolutely true, even countries that that, that, that allow for gun ownership. And I believe, my belief is... We have a political system, two ruling parties that have the capacity to mitigate this problem, but don't. Now, Democrats will, of course, point fingers at Republicans, and Republicans share a huge part of the responsibility for, for this problem. But again, Democrats, too, don't treat this as the national emergency that it is. Again, I want to emphasize children being gunned down in their classrooms 
any society that can accept that happening not once but multiple times is is broken to its core. It is uncivilized. There's something so profoundly wrong about it that this is a national emergency. So not treating it like the national emergency that it is and spending more time worrying about sending $40 billion to Ukraine. I'm sorry, everybody's responsible. I want to read a few quotes. This is a bunch of quotes that I share, and then I'm, and I'll turn to others for, for thoughts. I'm in here before you do. Sure, sure. Go ahead. Because something you said, I just want to touch on something you said that I think is important. And Michael Moore brought it up in his in his movie Bowling for Columbine. State sanctioned violence. We are leaders are setting that tone that it is okay to kill the enemy. Go over here. We have so much endless war that they are saying state sanctioned violence is okay. And I think that that very much does influence our culture. That jason was talking about earlier yeah there's also look let's not um forget the nexus to to COVID as well a million deaths you know mass death in america is just simply acceptable it's acceptable to the political leadership and to the mass media and thus it, it becomes acceptable and the public becomes sort of inured to 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 it it is, it is astounding, astounding. Again, I grew up in a place where I was watching tank battles, artillery battles. I was in basements as salvos of rockets came down on me. And yet never could I have imagined that children in a classroom, because remember, we would go to school in, in between, you know, major gun battles. There would be lulls in the fighting or ceasefires, and our parents would take us to schools, terrified, of course, and we would attend school, and then their battles would break out again. And We'd stay home for a week, stay in bomb shelters, and then go back to school. But never when we were in the schools did we ever think, nor did it ever happen, that a gunman would walk in and slaughter children. So it, it, the, the absolute horror and, and just profound wrongness of it all, we have to keep just front and center. We just can't get numb. We can't get numb to it. So, 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 Jason, talk to me about responsibility. Here are the quotes that I wanted uh, to read, and I just wanted to get your re- reaction to it. This is from Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. This is something on Twitter I, I, will, I share frequently. I just put a compilation. I did some research. And these are quotes from Biden and Pelosi over the recent years, just in the past 10 years. Pelosi, 2022, just a few months ago, a couple months ago, this country needs a strong Republican Party. They've made great contributions to our country. Joe Biden, same month three months ago, to, to Mitch McConnell, you're a man of word and a man of honor. Thank you for being my friend. Pelosi 2021, you're the grand old party of America. You've done wonderful things for our country. Pelosi, a few months before that, I think our country needs a strong Republican party. It's very important. Joe Biden, a month before that, we need a Republican party. Pelosi, three months earlier, September 2021, the country needs a strong Republican party that's done so much for our country. And go back to 2011, Joe Biden, in my view, we need a strong Republican Party. We need a Republican Party that's united. Have you ever heard, Jason, a Republican call for a strong Democratic Party? If we think Republicans are responsible, or if liberals or Democrats think Republicans are responsible for stonewalling any reasonable gun legislation and for causing this problem, why are two of the main leaders of the Democratic Party calling for a stronger Republican Party over and over again. Jason, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Peter, I mean, just 
just hearing that and the the just historical extent of that, and I, you know, I, I have criticized uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, and Joe Biden recently, um, and certainly as Joe Biden was uh, running for president, you look back at his history on the crime bill, the crime bills, and and his support of um, militarized policing, um, and his you know his his friendships, his, you know, friendships with uh, uh, Strom Thurmond and eulogizing Strom Thurmond. Um, you know, there's the, the old guard, the old establishment guard of the Democratic Party um, is an absolute horror show right now. Um, and you have Nancy Pelosi um, just slapping progressives in the face uh, going down and stumping for Henry Cuellar, who has a, an A rating from the NRA, uh, on top of being anti-abortion, um, on top of being a complete corporatist. Um, yeah, the Democratic Party has some severe leadership problems right now. And no, you would never, I mean, listen, to say, say, uh, say what you want about the Republicans, but they tell you exactly who they are. Uh, Mitch McConnell uh, said that it was pri- his priority to make Obama a one-term president, um, and I honestly just cannot wait to see the tail end of of leaders like Nancy Pelosi. And I am really, really pulling hard for somebody to step up and challenge Joe Biden in the midterms because we're not getting the leadership that this country needs. And when we talk about actual healing um, and things that might um, pull us out of this free fall that we're in, um, you know, it's not, it's not going to happen with, with uh, Joe Biden at, at, at the helm and Nancy Pelosi at the helm. Um, well, let me, well, let me say this. Um, and I've said this before, start from the position that the Republican party is a monstrous fascist white supremacist party. That's just a given. So I always want to say this when there are criticisms of the Democrats, it's because Democrats claim to be better but the Republican Party bears moral responsibility for the gun violence that's happening in this country because of just a stonewalling unwillingness to do anything to solve the problem except thoughts and prayers. But we need way, way, way more than that. It's insulting to the victims. It's insulting to their families. It doesn't solve the problem. Let me uh, uh, take a uh, uh, Walter. I, I see you're next in line. Do you want to uh, join in and share your share your views? Sure. Um, a few things. <clears throat> One, you know, I, I too grew up uh, around guns. My father was a combat veteran, so his view of guns were, uh, they were life-saving in a very real way for him. Um, <clears throat> I mean, he he loved the gun he had as a Ford Observer and eventually bought another one that he kept around. But we were taught that firearms were a responsibility not a source of, of power. And that had a lot to do with my father and, and attending Catholic schools for so many years. But, <clears throat> you know, I understand there are indeed people who view it as, you know, look what I can do if I choose to. Um, beyond that, I, you know, I, I've gone back and forth over my life between the left and, and I guess I'd say the center. And you know, so the, this is an issue that has always been of deep concern to me. And increasingly, as I've had children and now grandchildren, and 
at the end of the day, what I see is an enormous love affair with violence in this country. I mean, we love it. We're right now bombing or responsible for the bombing of innocent people in several countries. And we're killing families, we're killing children. You know, you look at our television, you know, I refuse to watch MMA. It's not, it's barely controlled violence and people in this country relish it. You'll see it in boxing matches. I mean, it's just, <clears throat> it's almost never ending. Action movies do incredibly well at the box office because they have violence. And, and of course, they try to paint it in black and white. Well, those are the bad guys over there. These are the good guys. You know, there's the American flag. What more do you need? And, you know, there, there's just not going to be a change at all. Because, I mean, let's face it. The victims of the Oklahoma City bombing didn't feel better about their losses because a bomb was used. Now, oh, thank God it wasn't a gun. You know, nobody felt that way. And and so what we have to come to grips with, like it or not, we got to have a hard, long look in the mirror and say, you know what? We need to change as a society. We need to change in terms of what we value. Um, you know, it, this this is not entertainment. This is life and death in a very real way. And until we can come to grips with the way we tend to resolve issues as a nation and as individuals makes a world of difference. And, and, and we have to start making a world of difference. Wonderful, wonderful points, Walter. A love affair with violence. That's so uh, just so, so perfectly stated. And I, I, I think if I if I can jump in on what Walter said, because I sure. thought it was a fantastic um, that that is um, a big part of the theme through uh, going back to Michael Moore's Bowling for Columbine, which I watched in the theater when it was first released, um, was it was uh, it was a, a love affair and uh, with violence that has that has really gone back. Um, I mean, it's part of our history. And so how do we change that culture? Um, and the and the thing that I wanted to add to what Walter said was this idea of of community and looking, you know, sort of weighing weighing um, our maybe our personal needs and wants. Like, what is the uh, where is the balance between what our our, our rugged individualism and uh, what is what is actually needed to make our communities better and safer. And quite, quite frankly, uh, you know, and this is what I, this is what I see from um, the, the right wing is that they don't, they don't really care about that. I mean, they may, they may talk about uh, that, but when it comes down to what are, what are you willing to give up um, in order to have your, uh, your community be safer, to have, to have schools not being shot up anymore? Um, and, and the answer seems to be not much. And then when you look at the, more, um, I, I would say the more moderate Democrats, we're, we're, we're talking about Pelosi and, and Biden. Um, it's, it's more of a political cowardice that if we really, if we really tackle this thing head on, um, that we're, you know, we're going to lose political ground because we're, because we're afraid of the right wing. Um, the, the, the fact is if we just, if we just go to the, I don't know why we can't treat gun violence 
with science the same way we might treat um, um, abortion with science. Uh, the, the fact is that uh, abortion being legal um, actually and, and um, sex education being, um, you know, available and birth control being available um, actually uh, is is better for public health. Uh, it, just in general, and why we don't treat gun violence as a public health crisis, as many scientists say that we should, um, why can we not do that politically? And, and, for, and for the Pelosi-Biden wing of the party, for me, it seems to fall on uh, more of a political cowardice. Um, yeah, they're, they're than, exactly. Than they're, yeah, they just want to suck up to the far right. Uh, look, the, the, the far right wing mentality, right, even the, the mainstream media and most of the political establishment will attribute a sort of equal um, violence to both what they call the radical left and the radical right. But if you look at all the statistics, it's the far right responsible for the vast, vast majority of domestic terrorism um, in, in this country, violence. It's it's a it's. Basically, a mindset and worldview of violence, of white supremacy, it goes to the very roots of this country, and it requires being armed, and it requires having weapons. And if the cost of having those free access to weapons is children being gunned down and massacred in classrooms, well, so be it for the far right. That's, that's acceptable to them. But of course, that permeates Republican Party culture because they are tools of the far right. And as you say, because the Democratic establishment wants to suck up and cave in, they are also complicit. And so let me say this, as far as I'm concerned, the politicians who do that, who cave to the, to, to the violent culture of the far right, are morally responsible for the death of those children. And we just have to remember that. So let me, let's keep going. Um, M, you wanted to ask a question. Walter, thanks for your comment. I'm going to invite the next caller. And welcome Hi. back. And, you're, and, and let me Thank just you. say this. I know that you're of a... Um, your age group is certainly um, one where I think this violence touches you in a more personal way. You're a lot younger um, than, than, than some of us on this call. So I would love to hear your perspective on this. Thank you. Um, well, I was about to say that anybody who goes to a public school these days, um, it's, a, it's not even a secret. It's like an open joke about who is going to be the school shooter, right? And everybody knows who it's going to be. I could, um, even thinking back when I was in public school, I can be like, okay, it was this person, it was this person, it was this person. Um, and um, we even, we almost, we almost had one at our school. And we almost had one at our school. And I still remember his name. I still remember his face. And, um, you know, administration was warned, whatever. Um he posted, you know, stuff on Snapchat, all that. And, um, you know, uh, they just kicked him out. They just expelled him. That was it. And uh, they did nothing to stop him from walking, you know, um, up to the school. He lived in the neighborhood. Um, nobody checked on the family. Nobody, you know, they police didn't do anything. So, you know, this is um, it's a, you can always tell who it is. Right. And, yeah, and, and, and let me and, and let me, if I can just answer you, yeah. my I I have a I have a teenager in public school, 
and um yeah you can ask be- them and they would 100% be like yeah it would be this person or this person in fact yeah in fact there was a, there was a there was a there was a boy who actually hit a teacher and threatened to shoot up the school and then and my my teenager came back to me and said well there you go it might be that person so you're exactly right yeah um so you know um uh, all i will say is that anybody who you know has half a brain um or has kids in public school, they all know this, right? They, everybody knows this, right? The only thing that's, um, everybody just, um, the, the only message that you're getting from mass media is, oh, you know, lone wolf, lone wolf, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it's, it's a lie. It's pathetic. It's, it's a lie. It's propaganda. Um, mm-hmm. It's NRA playbook that's coming straight out of the 90s after, you know, the Oklahoma City bombings. I mean, mm-hmm. like they, they perfected this, right? They have perfected this. Give it a week, no one's going to talk about this. By Friday, no one's going to talk about this. Um, and I will say that in terms, and, you know, I don't, I don't know the answer to any of this because even if we do have gun control, right, if any state passes, you know, and, and we're not even going to talk about federal because if the federal law, if, you know, Congress, pass, you know, by some miracle they pass, comprehensive gun control gun legislation and you know and it's not you know oppressive it doesn't affect the left it just affects the right right the supreme court's going to take it down by the end of the year okay let's let's not act like it won't but even if it's just by individual states you have the constitutional sheriffs and peace officers association which is this association of all the sheriffs in um the country um, and the sheriffs oversee, like, the police departments of, like, their counties, right? So not a lot of people pay attention to sheriffs because it's, like, they think that's cowboys and stuff. But, no, they're, they still exist. It's, like, bureaucratical. Um, so in 2013, after Sandy Hook, um, sheriffs across the country, I mean, practically most counties um, across the country, and this is not, like, just, you know, Texas, this is like California. This is like all, you know, they all signed um, a statement that's saying that they oppose gun control, right? So let's say a state does pass gun control. There's no, there's nothing that says a sheriff has to enforce it. You know, you could go to a, you could go to um, a, a, a flea market, right? And get a, a get a freaking gun, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, the, you know, I mean... There's not, you know, what I'm saying. Um, another thing is that this, um, you know, another thing that I wanted to point out is, you know, you talked about, Peter, the psychology of holding a gun and right. how that shifts something in your psyche, shifts something in your humanity. I don't think we really talk about that a lot, being a very um, gun-heavy culture, gun-heavy society, but it does shift something and it, it it shows you like this um reality of human nature but something that i also wanted to mention is that one thing that i'm thinking about is this um this idea that I'm, i've been seeing in my spheres on twitter about um because people are saying oh you know that these these people are oh, radicalizing off youtube off of uh discord which is this uh messaging um it's just it's just like messaging forum social media thing um very popular with people who you know play video games people who you know whatever it's kind of like reddit but isolated 
Um, yeah, no, yeah, this Discord is very popular, absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah, I just didn't know a lot of people, you know, yeah. outside yeah. of my sphere knew about it. And, you know, there's this cause like, oh, you know, we have to be careful, we have to do censorship, we have to, and it's like, no, because I don't think that is necessarily going to, it's like, okay, you you trust any U.S. government, any state government right now to pass a censorship law that will, like, stop white supremacist violence? Like, you seriously believe that? Are you that naive? And, you know, and I don't blame people who want something to be done, but it's just like, you know, step out of your emotions for this one brief second, because what do you think is going to be done when you have, when you're calling for that, from that angle specifically, right? And this is as much on the tech companies who have, who have, you know, who, and this was reported back in like 2017, 2018, when you had um, massive amounts of, I want to say white supremacists move into the tech sphere. And this is just something that when you work in tech or when you work with computers, you encounter anyway, because it is such a, like a soulless um, field. It's all, it's, it's like, it's so nihilistic. It's so like all about the money that you will have, there's no humanities in it whatsoever, right? And it's all profit driven. So obviously what you're seeing these days is it all about being about the algorithm, what turns out the most. And it's all right wing propaganda, obviously. So this is as much on the algorithms um, and on these tech companies as it is on these mass media campaigns, because they're all being led by the same people. They're all they all have the same interests. Right. It's absolutely true. If you look at the top. 10 or top 20 uh, most shared pieces on Facebook at it, on any given day, it's 90% right wing. Mm-hmm. So you're right about the algorithm and how that all works. Well, let me, um, there are a few other callers. Um, I really appreciate your participation. I, every time you join one of these calls, you always have excellent points to make and a great perspective. Um, if you wanted to wrap up your final point, I wanted to take Lance, who's the next caller. Sure. Um, all I wanted to say is that when, you know, we're, we're ha- when, there's there's no um just to summarize it there are ways to prevent violence in our own cities there are ways to organize around preventing violence and it's when you get to the root cause of it when you get to the racism when you get to the sexism that is prevalent and built into the foundation of this country um there are ways to prevent it and going forward um, you know, prison culture on Twitter talks about this a lot, organizes around this a lot. There, but um, there are ways, there are, you know, a path forward because if you just depend on, if you're just going to depend on whatever Nancy Pelosi who has sold her soul to money or any, you know, any future government to do anything, um, you're just going to have a broken heart again and again and again. So if you want anything to be done about violence in this country, it's never going to come from a, you know, we don't have leaderships anymore. The real leadership is going to be in your own community and people should just take care of each other and feel the full breaths of their emotion and don't let this grief just sit in your heart, right? Like feel the full grief because that's the only thing that's going to prevent you from um, being stopped really. It's feeling that full breath of human emotion. Even though it will take a whole day just to cry, just take that whole day to cry because it deserves that. You're right. You're absolutely right. We can't, we have to maintain our humanity and respect the humanity of others. Thank you so much. 
for your comment and your feedback. And I wanted to actually make a point. I would re- be remiss if I didn't make this point, and you you sort of triggered this thought. There is a nexus among the vast majority of mass killers and mass shooters, and that is a hatred toward women. Um, if you look at it, it's it's absolutely unmistakable. The fact that misogyny and hatred of women is a common thread. I'm not saying specifically this Texas shooter, but as I say, the vast majority of these shootings, um, there is the thread of misogyny and hatred uh, towards women. So I want to take uh, Lance, and thank you so much, uh, Lance. Um, let me uh, take your question or, or comment. Go ahead. You can just unmute. And then Allison will be next. So in a nutshell, I mean, I've been given, I gave this like a lot of thought over the years. I'll be brief and succinct, you know, uh, but so I was a, completely, yeah, gun control. Sure. When I was 25, did my on the road experience, actually met Allen Ginsberg, met Gregory Corso. So, and when I got to San Francisco, Mayor Feinstein, then Diane Feinstein wanted a strict gun control. It's been her whole career. And the yippies, the yippies had signs up. If outlaws, if guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have guns. The first time I started to go, hmm, you know, because I was all into it. I like it, met Ginsburg, all that for briefly, you know, he, you know, whatever. But so I was like, hmm, boys, yippies are a kind of sec- you know, strong Second Amendment folks. Now, starting with the Second Amendment and the South, right? The, the reason it got in politically, the, just the, the nuts and bolts politics of it was that the Southern state realized correctly horribly that uh, slavery is going to be there but we need guns to round up you know runaway slaves and we're not going to be assured that you're going to guarantee that right for us uh, the federal new federal government and you know sadly they probably might have been right so that's why the second amendment's there totally related to slavery no question about it but i looked and i just found that out fairly recently but to, when I was looking at things, and I, I looked at all you guys like profile things there, and it's all heterodox. Well, check this out, right? So there were discussions, lots of them, about the tyranny factor. And that's related to where it's, militias are mentioned when it comes to standing armies. It was like a discussion whether we should even have a standing army because we didn't want a tyrannical army, you know, just like we had to fight the British, right? So that argument was all in there. And so, of course, we limited it. Two-year two year budget for standing armies supposed to be limited, which is one of the reasons that, it's not the reason, it's not that the, that the, that the uh, Second Amendment is there because the militias that were mentioned would have been much more regulated like the National Guard. So I'm not comparing it exactly, but militias were mentioned there. And there was a limit in terms of how the army was going to be structured financially because ideally we wouldn't have the military industrial complex and all that, which didn't work out so well. But that was their intent. And that's another reason that was discussed was that if we're not going to have a strong army, whether it's foreign or domestic, remember, foreign or domestic, like Aaron Burr and his army, we had the idea that militias, citizen militias, kind of like a National Guard, could be called up and, you know, pretty quickly to, you know, defend us or to be able to rise up against tyranny. So that was definitely argued, even though it was the slavery issue that actually got it in there. That doesn't discount these other arguments that were in there. And then you have the idea of a citizen armed militias and all that but also the Minutemen, right, but also well-regulated. You see, and this is what I say, it's, of course, well-regulated, which means anything that with freedom is responsibility. So if there's an increase of a danger of something, 
And of course it could be well regulated. So hugely, hugely regulated. Yes. And in the old West, uh, yeah, you hung up your gun to go into saloon. You didn't go into uh, towns that were, you know, settlements of, you know, uh, of, of, of like growers as opposed to like a, a wild casino, you know, boom rush town was going to be let uh, anything wild, anything goes. It was different laws everywhere. So the idea that the laws of New York City should be the same as with, with Wyoming is ridiculous. But I'm a very, very strong Second Amendment advocate. Well, at the same time, it should be you know, ultra, you know, uh, regulated, depending on if it could be concealed. You know, yeah, long guns and shotguns, maybe not so much. But, you know, if it's a, a repeating rifle. And by the way, the people that say that we want to have guns on the right, fine. Because if you can't have a gun till 21, until your brain's even formed of how to use it, if there's an insurrection, the older than 21 that aren't red flagged and all that, they can buy all the guns they want. So if there's an insurrection, you could have 30 guns and give them out to all the people that you need to have your militia army that needs to fight an insurrection. So there's plenty of guns. Not about restricting guns in that sense. It's just restricting who can have them and how and why and where in certain situations. It, you know, if it's concealed weapons, if it's repeating, you know, action rifles. But it had nothing to do with, you know, limiting guns, just control, you know, just well-regulating them. A well-regulated militia. Uh, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right to the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I don't have to look that up. I memorize it. But anyway, I'll stop there. But what do you think of my point? Yeah, no, that, uh, well, I, those are all very uh, – thank you. Thank you so much, Lance. Uh, it's important to to have the historical background because there is the Second Amendment. But there's no way on earth any human, any human – anywhere throughout human history, uh, except maybe, I don't know, looking back to child sacrifice in some cultures, would look and say, yes, we constructed a document to put a society together in which we absolutely are fine with the idea of children in classrooms being massacred. Um, You know, that was our intent. Well, we're, you know, if we're a civilized society, we look at our founding documents um, we look at the malleability of the Constitution, at amendments to the Constitution, at interpretation of the Constitution, and we look at ourselves and we say there is no possible universe in which it is okay for this type of violence to happen. That, that's what we should say, but that does not happen in America. It happens with a lot of people, but it doesn't happen with the political leadership, which um, is, 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 is heinous beyond words. That's why I, I keep saying political leaders who who continue to allow this to happen, who have the power, they are elected to represent us, to have the power to make these changes, to legislate the changes. And that they don't means they are morally culpable. So Lance, thank you so much. I want to move over to Allison, who was waiting. Um, Hello, uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, I'm hiking in a forest right now, so I didn't know if my signal would be good. Um, So I just wanted to give my two cents. Um, I'm also a younger person. Um, I'm early 30s. um, So Columbine is like one of my first earliest memories of like watching the news. And I was like, and I didn't even watch it as like, I was watching the funeral, like the memorial service that they had. Like, that's one of my clearest memories as a young person. Um, and then, like, you know, from then on, we always had, you know, like active shooter drills along with the tornado and the fire, you know. But, like, but at the same time, like, we all knew it was kind of just a ruse. You know, it was like duck and cover, you know, for the 80s with the nuclear bomb. Like, everyone's going to die if a nuclear bomb comes off, like, mm-hmm. let alone these doors that don't lock. Um, and, like, most of these schools are made with like basic building materials um and there's way too many students per classroom to even like so i just 
I want to point out that one of the things that ties a lot of these mass shooters together or not just mass shooters, but like shooters that particularly target vulnerable communities and like vulnerable peoples, such as the elderly or uh, marginalized groups or, you know, uh, gay people or um, uh, black people or the school children, like a lot of toxic masculinity. Um, a lot of, you know, feeling the hopelessness of the current situation, a lot of like, well, might as well die now. And I, as a young person, I feel that, you know, like, obviously, I would never go and do those kind of things, because I am, I have a vastly different culture. Um, I surround myself with different things than a lot of these young men in particular surrounding themselves with. And I feel like, I mean, this is a disconnection from community and from family and from friends, right? The isolation into these small groups. And then you have, you know, actual people who are predators who will go onto these communities and push people into violence, give them ideas, share resources, you know, like, oh, well, you're not crazy, you know, give them these, you know, ideas of grandeur and then at the same time you have the corporate media you know playing them out so they become this kind of like semi-hero figure um and i just i feel like i mean this is a i mean obviously this is an american problem because we have like so many guns in such loose gun control rules um but i also think it's a it's a problem with you know the white anglo-saxon protestant white supremacist um you know you know heteronormative christo-fascist what do you want to call it um upbringing and culture that we have perpetuated in this country not just through you know our family and friends and through school but also through our media like what kind of movies we're watching i mean i don't like i said i do not want to blame video games and movies and books or even like free speech on like why people decide to act in violent ways but at the same time, I feel like maybe there could be some interventions. There should be more like media knowledge of how to consume these things, how to know when you're getting into a dark hole or you're spiraling, um, like you like, Hey, I'm not going to go on YouTube. I'm not going to go on Facebook. I'm not going to go on and I'm going to not going to like circle around this drain of nihilism and, you know, and, and white supremacy. And so just, just some of the things to think about. Um, I mean, obviously not every single per, like person who's done a mass shooting is, you know, a white supremacist, but they all live within a white supremacist culture. And like, even if they don't knowingly acting out on that purpose, you know, they, they still are because of the culture we have created and the kind of culture that we continue to, to like, not even critique. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so that was, those are some thoughts in my mind. Um, I, my dream growing up was to be a middle school teacher. Um, and I never pursued that dream because I literally just couldn't even deal with the anxiety of being a student in school, worrying about like, what if someone brings a gun or the school cop decides to to mace all the students, um, Mm -hmm. or some other, you know, ridiculous situation happening in a school. Um, and so I, 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 I can't imagine what it's like to be, a student, like an under 18 right now, um, I or even younger, like where they're in elementary school or middle school, um, and they're having to worry about this like existential threat. And it's not like a, I'm, I have anxiety, so that's why I'm thinking. No, 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 it's a real fucking thing. And their parents are talking to them about it. They see it in the media. They see it at school. They do the active shooter drills. And I'm just really worried for the future that we're going to create if we constantly are like essentially letting this 
culture of violence not be critiqued. Um, and I know y'all are mentioning, I mean, I know you're equal opportunity, um, you know, but the Republicans have done a lot, but also the Democrats, let's not let them off here. They are the bombers in chief. They are the ones in the past, you know, since the beginning, I mean, there was only one person, um, Barbara Lee, to like say no to the Iraq war. And I feel like that's a that's also a stamp on who our country is. And if the regular people think it's okay for the government to, you know, like, you know, to just murder people um, with, you know, drones or guns or famine, um, why would they not think as individuals that they have just the same right, especially when they're working in the same exact path of white supremacy, of capitalism, of, you know, and so of terrorism, let's just put it straightforward. Um, This is what those people are, is like they're, you know, um, so I I love the idea of a well-regulated militia as a Texan myself. I'm, I'm, I'm particularly interested in those well-regulated militias being, you know, um, like for the protection of marginalized people and mm-hmm. for people who have traditionally been murdered by the state. Um, I don't think, you know, grandpa, you know, papa in the suburb needs a, a, like a, a fucking, you know, thing in his backyard or like a you know, I just don't think that's necessary. And I feel like media, social media, and just like honest lack of community and of like respect for other people's humanity has led us into this path where people can just write it off as like, oh, it's another Wednesday. You know, everyone will forget it by Friday. I do want to make this what I think is very important point. Uh, about the media, because you raised a a crucial point about media coverage. One of the key um, sort of, uh, Jason, you talked about uh, taking a scientific approach to some of this stuff. It's absolutely, the research is conclusive that that giving notoriety and publicity and, and fame or infamy to mass shooters and mass killers sparks copycats. It just does. So what you have is the irresponsibility of the media taking individuals who go out there and murder people, making them famous, putting them on the covers, putting their photos. Instead of the photos of the victims, they put the photos of the killers on the covers of their newspapers and magazines, social media sites. They put their names out there and constantly repeat their names. They put their manifestos up there. Now, there there are two sides to looking at this. One side is we do want to highlight white supremacy and white supremacist violence and, Allison, to your point, toxic masculinity, which is an absolutely fundamental part of all of this. This is why I raised the issue of misogyny earlier on as a common threat to all these mass shooters. But 100 percent. Look, you're 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 um, every single one of us in our own way wants to be remembered and known. And that's part of the human condition, which is we're afraid of dying. We're afraid of being forgotten. We're afraid of just being nobody. We want to be loved. We want to be known. We want to be recognized. Unfortunately, that impulse can be turned inside out to a person saying, you know what, if I go become the top mass shooter and kill 25 people, and this is the worst mass shooting ever, well, I'll always be remembered. Now, I'm not saying that's the only impulse, because there are all sorts of impulses that create these shootings. But there is one unfortunate a problem that we have right now, which is the media turns these killers into almost quasi-celebrities by giving them attention that they seek in a way that's unhealthy. It's one thing to cover a crime. 
and to cover a murder and to cover a mass killing. And it's very important that we talk about it as we are right now. It's another thing altogether to give fame to people who are seeking the fame through killing others. So I think that's something very important for all of us to to think about and remember. Jason, I think you wanted to respond to Allison. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I didn't no, want to thought about copycats. I, there, there is there is one thing I wanted to say, and actually it's been brought up in the chat, and I think it's very poignant. And I wanted to say that um, Allison's uh, rant, which was a very good rant, uh, really circled back to uh, my opening statement about you know the fact that we don't respect each other's society and that that comes from our government. I mean, we can say, you know, we don't respect the people that we're bombing overseas, but our, our, our government doesn't respect us enough to make sure everybody is housed and, and everybody has health care. Um, so, I mean, there's, it's, there's that level of just not taking care of each other and we can't count on our government for that. But I think the other thing is um, Allison brought up you know, cops, this is something that I had to deal with. Um, and, and as a teacher for in the classroom, the high school and, and a couple of years of middle school uh, for 18 years is um, we treat our students like criminals. And we have we have armed police officers walking the streets of school. And as a teacher, that was uh, it was it was horrible for me to see that. Um, and we do see uh, you know, time and time again, uh, they call them school resource officers, SROs, uh, abusing students and, you know, sometimes even killing them. There was a story of a student in Tennessee um, who who was shot in the bathroom of of his uh, high school. Um, and and I think that is all part of the sickness and the despair of our of our culture um that we ha absolutely have to start um confronting um and and uh again a point point that was brought up in the chat uh was uh demilitar demilitarizing the police and if we're going to if we're going to um take guns away from uh or or certain guns you know take certain guns away from the the general population that we have to remove those weapons from police also because police cannot be trusted with them any more than the general public can um so i i want to leave it at that i actually have to get going because i have um an endorsement interview upcoming in a couple of minutes that i can't miss um but this has been a fantastic conversation and i do appreciate everything that everybody has said um in in the chat here thank you thank you jason thank you so much i value your friendship i'm um I feel privileged and honored to be able to work with you on your campaign, and I hope you win because we need, need people like you elected. So go do what you got to do. I hope you get the endorsement, and we will speak Appreciate later. Appreciate that very much. Um, Thank we're you. Gonna go, yeah, no problem. We're going to go just a few, few more uh, minutes. I always like to keep these things within the hour because everybody's busy and has stuff to do. But, um, you know, I, I, I do want to talk about, and others have referenced this, uh, the issue of racism and white supremacy that's the foundation of this country. Of, and, and I think Allison made this point as well and, and did as well, that there is a, you know, and also to Walter's point about this sort of love of violence. But you know, very, many of these crimes target marginalized groups. And, you know, it's important for us to recognize that the, at the very roots of this country, uh, we have white supremacist violence. That's how the country began. Uh, with slavery. And to this day, where we're bombing predominantly brown children across the world, droning families in Afghanistan with no consequences. We kill children. When I say we, I mean our government, certainly not us. And we oppose it and we don't want our tax dollars to go to it. But we as America slaughtered a family 
of 10 in Afghanistan uh, last year, there were absolutely no consequences for it. It just, we just did it. And we did that as a, as a country, as a nation. So uh, I don't know, Stephanie, if you want to weigh in with the last word, we are going to wrap here. I really appreciate every single person who listened, participated. Um, I, I, I feel so, so blessed to have um, these wonderful conversations. They're very, very grim and, and sometimes horrifying issues we have to talk about. But to be able to come together as friends and as a community to talk through this um, is a very valuable thing, I feel. So I, I thank each and every one of you uh, for listening and or participating. Stephanie, do you want to just wrap? Sure. Thanks, Peter and, and everybody. Yeah, great, a lot of great points made. And it's always it's always great to be able to come together and have these conversations. And I think that my the last point I'd like to make is this. We as a nation spend so much time fixated on how we're different and that helps drive what Jason was talking about, where we don't take care of each other. We see, always see where we're different. We always see where we're fighting with each other. We always see the negative. What if instead we started looking at and focusing on what we have in common? Would then maybe it be a lot harder for us to shoot each other? That's a wonderful point. That's beautifully said. And and boy, do... What do I wish for, for peace? I mean, my entire life was, when I grew up, was violence. And then I came to the, to the U.S., to my, really to my home country. I thought, okay, I escaped Beirut and I escaped Lebanon and I escaped war. And, and violence followed me here. And violence is worse in many ways here. It's much more random. Um, violence is everywhere. It's just a, a deep part of, of human nature. It's not everybody, but there are some portion of humans who, who, who are just violent and we have to figure out how to deal with that. Um, the, the answer is not militarized police. The answer is not going and bombing other people. Um, the answer lies much deeper. Um, but here we are again talking about another one, and, and uh, I hope another shooting like this never happens again. But but uh, my heart, in my heart, sadly, I feel we will be talking about this again and again until it's resolved. Um, so thank you, everyone. I'm going to wrap. Uh, I appreciate each and every one of you. Have a safe uh, rest of your evening, and hopefully we'll talk next week.